Hey, good evening, everybody. We are uh, starting our Wednesday night Bible study, and uh, just got a lot of things to talk about tonight. It is um, eight o'clock on the Eastern Coast. I am uh, Tony, Pastor Tony from South Bay Chapel. Sorry if I seem a little disheveled. Uh, full disclosure: I'm attempting to both record live video while recording live audio, and uh, one of the things we're working on is. Uh, having the Facebook live feed, but then also broadcasting the audio portion of this through um, through the podcast store or through the iTunes store via podcast. So um, if you follow South Bay Chapel on, um, on iTunes, if you sign up for free updates for our podcast, then you'll be receiving one probably somewhere 15 to 20 minutes after this broadcast is over. If you are not subscribed, please go and subscribe to our podcasts. They are free. They are awesome. We have a full library of stuff available. Um, they'll also be available on SoundCloud if you're a SoundCloud subscriber. I believe that's free. You can, you can join and create an account and listen via SoundCloud. Again, you can listen within the app. You can go to the, the desktop version of it. And then, of course, it'll be here on Facebook Live as well. So I enjoy the audio portion of podcasts when I don't have to watch, but I can put in my headphones and do something else as I'm um, not have to, to look at a screen. So this will kind of be a best of both worlds scenario. That being said, um, something that you can only see, but um, and not so much hear or need to see. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, hey, Mike. Is tonight I'm going to give away a book. Um, occasionally what I will do is if I find a book and I find a good deal on books, I will, I will buy that book and then I will, um, uh, give them away. And that's what I'm going to hope to do here tonight. Um, I, this book here has been a wealth of information for me. Um, it is called The Invisible War by Chip, Chip Ingram. Uh, there's a glitch with the Facebook app tonight, so it's not reversing the image so you see it all backwards. Um, but I assure you everything is front ways right ways. Um, the Invisible War by Chip Ingram, pastor out of uh, Los Gatos, California, Venture Christian Church out there. Um, what I love about his teaching and his style of, of writing and teaching is um, it's very plain, very easy to grasp onto. It, when dealing with uh, Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare, you tend to find two uh, different thoughts or theologies. One is way on one end of the spectrum, which is demons, Satan, and spiritual war warfare does not exist. Or all the way on the other end of the spectrum, uh, everybody, uh, everybody, everything has a demon. Everything is demonically influenced. There's demons everywhere all the time. Be afraid of them all the time. And it's like, okay, you know, there's, those aren't, that's not the, the truth on either end. What Chip Ingram does is goes very carefully through the scriptures and teaches us exactly what spiritual warfare is, who Satan is, what demons are, and how Jesus is victorious uh, above them and over them. So, um, this is a really good book. I'm going to give it away to somebody who shares our video tonight. So, all you got to do is like and share this video, and at the end of the night, I'll choose one randomly and give this book away. So, two new things tonight. Giving away a book, recording the audio for this, um, and so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully it works out really well, and... Um, It'll, it'll be really cool. So let's let's pray, and then we'll get into tonight's lesson. Uh, Lord God, we just pray for your blessing upon this lesson. Not because um, we have good ideas or because um, we're really great, but, but really we're here to 
ask for your by your mercy and your grace that we would understand your scriptures, that we would know Jesus more intimately through them. So I pray tonight as we read the book of Hebrews that you would speak to us uh, beyond what our ears can hear, but speak deep within our soul, deep within our spirit, the truths that are your son Jesus. We pray for you to be glorified above all things. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so hopefully all is going well. I feel like... Uh, I feel like uh, it's a balancing act, trying to get everything uh, going. So if you haven't already, go ahead and go and um, share the live video. Uh, I'd greatly appreciate that. That helps us just organically. Hey, I look at myself with my hands. That's weird. Um, helps us just organically um, increase viewership, chances of people seeing stuff. Uh, Facebook likes to get you to pay to do that type of stuff. And uh, But what you end up having is like click farms. Basically just people who are just clicking it, but they're not really active organic users. So we like to just actually reach people. So if you'll share it on your timeline, we'd appreciate that. Okay, so tonight's lesson is in Hebrews chapter 12. And you might be thinking, if you've been, if you've been following along over the last few uh, months, going on over a year now, we've been in um, the, the book of Hebrews. We kind of glossed over Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason why we did that, or the reason why I did that, was because... Hebrews chapter 11 is what's called the Hall of Faith, or the Hall of Heroes. And it just mentions all of these different men and women who did great things based on faith. And because there's such an emphasis on faith, that's where I wanted to land. That's where I wanted to really sort of sink our teeth into. And we will invariably go back and pull those stories out, stories of David and Gideon and things like that. Um, from that chapter and from throughout the rest of the Bible. And so it's not that we're avoiding anything or that we're um, uh, trying to just not focus on that chapter. It's just that that chapter honestly has been focused on at, at, great, uh, at great length and in great detail. Um, and so we're going to sort of like bring it along with, with us as we move forward in, in um, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a sin, excuse me, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Um, some of the most important scriptures you're going to read in all of the Bible. Um, these are verses that you would like to commit to memory. Um, write them down. Post them somewhere. <clears throat> read, uh, read them on a regular basis. Be reminded. Because it is a foundational truth. It is uh, when Jesus talks about the house being built on uh, the solid foundation. Built on the rock. He is that rock. But that rock includes uh, sound theology based on the scriptures of the Bible. So um, what we want to talk about tonight is the idea that uh, the Bible is just a list of rules, uh, to, qu to quote Troy McClure from The Simpsons, a list of do's and do not do's uh, from God. And things that if you should do them, then God will be happy. And if you don't do them, or you do the things on the wrong list, then God's mad at you. And so you're kind of stuck in this constant proverbial tug of war between 
uh, doing right and doing wrong, doing something good, doing something bad, trying to balance the two out so that by the end of your life, before you take your last breath, the scales will be tipped in your favor. And that's how some people view the Bible. It's the equivalent of a toddler or a child looking at a parent and saying they're just, uh, a parent is just someone who makes up rules. A parent is just someone who says, don't do this, do this. Eat your broccoli, don't eat too much candy, stop playing in the road, go, you know, be nice to your sister, that sort of thing. If our children honestly thought that about us, we'd be devastated. I mean, we hope they'd listen to us, but that's not all that we are. That's part of who we are, but it's not all that we are. Um, Jesus is so much bigger and grander than just a list of rules. Where the modern church kind of uh, finds itself in error today is the removal of rules, the removal of requirements that God has for us. They would say, that's legalistic. And I would say, well, the Bible makes certain things pretty clear that God does not like. It makes his grace very clear, his mercy is very clear. But there are certain things that God wants us to do and to not do. However, the emphasis of the Bible is not just things to do and not do, uh, consequences for doing the wrong thing and blessings for doing the right thing. The Bible is about Jesus. It's about revealing himself to us through the story and the narrative of the Savior, of being a Savior, being the Savior. So you have, uh, you know, you go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, hey, Sarah, um, go to Genesis chapter 1, and what you have is um, the beginning story of the mission of the Messiah. You have in uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15, I believe, the, the promise given in response to the uh, curse that's been pronounced upon man, woman, and the serpent, and the promise that this seed would come from the woman who would uh, bruise his heel by crushing the head of the serpent. It's considered the first messianic promise of the scriptures. And so from there, you have constant promise after promise, then fulfillment of promises, and yet more promises made by Jesus. The Bible is a, a, a lengthy narrative about God coming to our realm, our plane, to save us from the sin that permeates us, who we are, what we've done, what we've inherited, and so forth. And along those lines, the Bible deals with sin. And the way that um, I described uh, God, the Bible, and parents kind of using that as a parallel a moment ago, um, one of the things we do with sin, we, we just consider that word, A, a word we don't use very often, B, a word we don't like, but C, it's usually just doing something wrong. And that surely can be what sin is, but what I want to do is allow for this scripture here to define, or maybe not to define as much as describe, what sin is really like. Um, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite quotes is by A.W. Tozer. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so how we see the Bible, how we see Jesus, um, and the source that we use to view him or, or the evidence that we have to view him uh, affects our life. So how we see God is greatly affected by, affected by what we believe. So there are churches, ministries, authors, pastors, preachers, who preach a Jesus that you don't really find in the scriptures. Um, they repeat the teachings they have. They believe certain things about Jesus. 
but their sources are faulty. And so my question to you today is just where, you know, ask yourself, where is my source? For me and for my life and for my family, my source is the Word of God, the Bible. I believe it to be the inherent or the inerrant Word of God. It is God speaking through man, moving them as the Spirit gives them utterance to, to write these things down, to reveal to us His Son, Jesus, and the plan to save all of us. That there is an eternity, that there is a heaven and a hell, there is, uh, there is consequences for our choices, there is healing and deliverance to be found, that sin is devastating and uh, always, pays a, always requires a price we don't really want to pay. And so, tonight we're talking about sin. Our definition or how we're defining sin is found in the Scripture. It's found in the, in the Bible. So, the world might have a view of what sin looks like. Uh, consequently, uh, our culture's view of sin kind of is fluid, meaning uh, it means different things to different people. So, for some folks, adultery is bad. For other folks, it's a way of life. Um, as long as there's consenting adults, who are they really hurting? Well, they're breaking the law of God. God is not really down with adultery. Read the scriptures from beginning to end. Those who commit adultery usually don't end up being poster children for, like, heroes. So, um, though our culture might approve or disapprove, what our culture says really is irrelevant to when it compares, when it compares to what Jesus has to say about a particular subject or topic. Um... For those of you just listening to the audio only, that is my cat sharpening his claws on my uh, computer chair. Um, <laughs> so, when it comes to sin and how we define sin, we want to look to the scriptures. How does God view sin? How does the God of the Bible describe and give to us sin? There's two things that uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, does here to describe sin, which I think is pretty revolutionary. It's liberating. It is the equivalent of like somebody giving you like a, a keyhole view of something and then just expanding you're going oh my gosh that that helps me to see so much more hi Lucretia and so he says two things he says that uh, we should lay aside every weight and so he talks about uh, sin being a weight or a burden or a heaviness upon us and uh, every sin which cl clings so closely and so there's Max making an appearance on the video tonight. So that's the two points I want to look at today in regards to sin. Because sin, when it's just right and wrong, it's like, oh gosh, what am I, a child, right and wrong? I know what's right, I know what's wrong. And the things that I want to do that are wrong, um, I just want to do them. And the things that are uh, right, I might get to them or not. Maybe when I'm old, I'll change my life or something like that. Unfortunately, what ends up happening is a lot of people, they, uh, they get to the end of their life, they kind of see the error of their ways and they repent and they find Jesus and that's great so many years wasted though where they could have lived a fruitful life uh, glorifying Jesus and living in eternity starting today rather than later so the two points uh, sin being called a weight or a burden and it clinging so closely number one um, there are folks that think that Christians do not sin I'm primarily speaking to Christians tonight this is a, a, a Bible study. We're studying the word of, word of God. If you're not a Christian, you are welcome to watch. And I hope that through this, you will hear the voice of God calling you to uh, His love and to repentance so that, uh, so that you can live a liberated life like I just spoke about. Um, but it's not talking... These scriptures aren't necessarily talking to non-believers right now. 
Um, and non-believers, of course, they sin because they are still, uh, as the Bible describes them, dead in their sin. Christians, though, have been delivered from sin, yet still find themselves mired in sin from time to time. And as you can meet a ton of people who have been saved, and you'll find them, and they'll, they'll, certain sins will just fall off them like water off a duck's back. But then there's other deep-rooted sins that can be uh, a lifelong struggle. Um, the first way that the writer describes this is as a weight. And for any Christian who's ever sinned, um, after their salvation moment, after that time and that process of sanctification, which is a big word for like refining, or, or, or if you imagine taking a piece of wood and sanding off the rough edges and, and all the imperfections and things like that. Um, that's what we mean when we mean by, uh, by uh, that word I just used to start, sanctification. Sorry, my mind went for a second. Um, when you engage in sin after that, uh, the, whatever little pleasure you might experience is so fleeting and feels nothing like it did before you knew Jesus. Um, hey, why don't you go, Kat? So, what it does is it feels like a weight. It feels like a heavy burden upon your shoulders. And what... <laughs> sorry, my cat just attacked me. Or I just attacked him. Um, it feels like weight upon your shoulders. It feels like a pressing. It feels like a, a pressure... And part of that is from the hiding of it and from it. It's the lack of wanting to admit it. That's why I think the word calls us to confess our sins, because there's liberation and the letting go of weight that comes from uh, admitting our sins. And that could be uh, with another Christian. That could be with your spouse or with a friend. That could be in front of the church, if that's what it calls for, if that's how drastic it is. It can be in public. If a public figure who's a Christian commits a heinous sin, uh, I think that it might be in their best interest to publicly admit it, not uh, maybe not get into the details of it, especially if there's a legal aspect to it, but to to admit it and say, yes, this is what I've what I am guilty of, and, and I repent of it, and I ask for your forgiveness and that sort of thing. Um, the Bible rightly describes sin as a weight, and so um, the first description we look at is just incredibly accurate. I think if you're honest with yourself, you won't need to be convinced of this truth. You'll know it and go, yeah, I, I know that feeling. I know that burden. And I've been trying, you know, I shook these weight, you know, early on I shook some weight and it went really well. But right now, this, this weight I can't seem to shake. The second way that the writer uses, uh, the word verbiage that the writer uses to describe sin, he says it, it clings so closely. And um, again, for Christians who have sinned, and even for non-Christians, you understand that unless you lie to yourself, again, being another sin, um, sin is sticky. And I like to compare it to, um, to my dog and, um, and burdocks. Burdocks are um, just a type of a, a weed that, uh, that, that exists out in our yard. And the primary way that they get spread is through these uh, tiny little clusters of barbs. And what they do is they get stuck in my dog's hair, uh, and then he goes somewhere else, and then they open up, and they drop more seed. It's, ge it's a genius move by the weed to, to just cling on to the long hair of my golden retriever, and then as he goes and walks away, drops seed somewhere so they can grow there as well. 
I've gotten these stuck in my shoe before, like in the shoelaces you go, and you're like, oh dear, I must have kicked a burdock or got too close to a thing. Maybe in pant leg, things like that. And uh, it, is, it is really tough to get those little seeds, the burdock seeds, out of your shoes, pants, what have you. Um, sin is like that. Sin has these proverbial barbs on it that make it really hard to shake. Once it's attached to you, it's really difficult to just simply go, yeah, I can stop. I can be done. That was a one-time thing. It's why repentance, I think, is so necessary because we have to go to the root of that issue and just start tugging at it and pulling away that which is there only to realize that we can't ourselves remove that. So we got to have Jesus come and again rescue us from that sin. And that is the good news of the gospel, that though sin is very weighty, Though sin clings to us so closely, though Jesus has uh, accepted us and now we have trampled upon that sacrifice again by, by going back to the muck that we were saved from, that Jesus is forgiving. Now, the danger here, and I apologize, my nose itches, the danger here in any type of religion, there is this human tendency, and most major world religions fall into this sort of prescription that I'm going to describe. If you're doing something wrong, then you need to go do something right. Not just to balance the scales, I mean just to stop doing what you're doing. If you are uh, being, uh, if, you're, if you're quick to anger, if you're, and we wouldn't even consider that really a sin, um, we would just consider that a bad habit. The Bible calls it a sin. We are quick to anger, and we just we just fly off the handle at any given moment. And so, our proclivity or our tendency, how we would naturally respond to that, is okay. I need to find natural ways to combat this quickness to be angry, or maybe if your problem is greed. Or maybe your problem is lust, uh, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. If that's, then I just need to uh, set up barriers and parameters, and I need to set up, um, you know, good habits in place of bad habits. And these have some worth. If you're trying to do these things, I don't want to. I don't. I'm not here to just down you for trying to do a good thing. Obviously, any effort to try to make your life more Christ-like is a good effort. You should continue to try to do those things. But here, here's what I want to do. I want you to get through that because eventually you'll do one of two things. One, you're going to beat your head up against the wall. And you're going to say, you know what? I, I've been doing this for so long and it's not getting better and I'm not stopping and I can't seem to stop. And that's a hard place to be in. Um, or you're going to have that heavy burden just increase and get bigger and heavier and hurt and become painful. Um, if you don't have that happen, then it may turn into a legalism. Uh, a legalism, legalism wrongly defined, is following the laws of God. God says don't murder, so you don't murder. And then somebody would say, well, that's legalism. And nobody, nobody calls that legalism. It's usually like with lying, or with stealing, or with um, uh, keeping the Sabbath, or honoring parents. The, the less, what we would call consequential sin. You know, if somebody has to lie, well, I had to lie and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, don't be so legalistic. Well, um, God still expects you not to lie. God still expects you to use your words correctly and, and to keep it from uh, foul language and that sort of thing. 
It's not legalistic to adhere to the rules of God. It is legalistic. The, the way that Christians should use that word and how we generally use that word or try to use that word is using now, if I do not swear, then I am saved. If I do not lie, then I am saved. If I do not, if I do not commit adultery, then I am saved. Well, that doesn't mean you're saved. There are plenty of people who do not commit adultery who don't know Jesus Christ. And that's the key. You must know Jesus. So you'll create a legalism. Okay, I've done this, so now God must love me. Or I've done this, now God must accept me. Or you'll become so heavy burdened that you'll just burn out. And so the key here is continued in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right off the bat, well, we're ending with this, I guess. Ending with this. You can be saved. You can be delivered. Those sins that plague you. Maybe sins that nobody even tells you that they're wrong. Nobody even knows about them. But but you know and Jesus knows. And Jesus has been talking to you about them. Um, I want you to know that you absolutely can be delivered from those things. Um, there might be some things you have to do. Some barriers you have to put up. Some parameters you have to set. If your sin is alcoholism, um, certainly stop buying alcohol. Stop going to places that sell and serve alcohol. That would be a good uh, a good practice. However, there will be moments where alcohol appears and you weren't expecting it. And then what are you going to do? Um, and maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's it's a it's it's neglecting your family. Maybe it's um, just any plethora of, of sin that weighs you down and clings so closely. How do you get delivered from those things? Well, um, practically praying and that sort of thing, which seems trivial, um, it's not. But prayer coupled with looking to Jesus, and prayer is a form of looking to Jesus or looking at Jesus, it says that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It literally means he's the one who started our faith. He's the one who continues our faith. He's the one that concludes our faith. There will come a time where we will stand in the presence of Jesus himself and faith will no longer be needed, meaning we will see him, we will know him. That confident trust that faith is will be um, satisfied in seeing him as he is to be seen. Um, it's why I believe the 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. It's why I believe love is the greatest of the three. Hope and faith will be satisfied in our uh, being... Uh, confronted by or being in the presence of Jesus. But our love will continue. We will no longer have to hope, we'll no longer have to have faith, but we will continue to love and be loved. But that being said, to be truly delivered, we must look to Jesus. So we must uh, look to him three ways. One is to pray. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. That means our whole life is a prayer. We're praying out loud, we're praying quietly, we're praying with friends, we're praying with neighbors, we're praying by ourselves, we're praying in the morning, we're praying at night. We're praying, and, and for me, what this means, how I knew I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God was not that some big external thing happened. It was that inter internally, uh, this dialogue between God and I continued each and every day, every minute of the day. I couldn't forget God. Before that moment, I could go the whole week without God, and then on Saturday night, I'd be like, oh no, church is tomorrow. I gotta, I gotta get ready for church, oh my gosh. But once I was filled with the Spirit of God, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't shake him. I couldn't get rid of him. I can't. I can't stop not uh, communing with him on a daily basis. It's not just like I gotta do it. It's 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 this um, indwelling presence of another person, another another uh, being that's not me. Um, 
So prayer, talking to God, and that's all that is, just talking to God. You want to be poetic, be poetic. You want to just use your everyday language, use your everyday language. Um, number two, uh, gathering with the church. Uh, gathering with like-minded people, going in the same direction, faulty like you, deliver, wanting to be delivered like you, brought together. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against, and this was Jesus' words, will not prevail against his church um, because he has brought us together. Like It won't prevail against the church, not, not the church member, not the individual, but against the church collected together. Book of Hebrews, the writer says not to forsake the gathering of the brethren, that we are to gather regularly, assemble regularly, and do things like sing psalms and hear the word preached, pray for one another, pray for uh, circumstances and things that are going on. So we, we pray, we gather, and lastly, the word of God. We look to Jesus through the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. Um, in verse 14, I believe, it says that uh, Jesus Christ is the Word, that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst men. And that is Jesus Christ himself. To, to try to get Jesus without his Word, um, is, it's a, it's a, you might as well just give up. To take the word and try to not see Jesus, not going to happen either. Because they are two of the same thing. They're two sides of the same coin. So, we look to Jesus by prayer, by gathering with the saints, and by looking to the word of God. The inherent, perfect, infallible, uh, amazingly beautiful and alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, uh, weapon uh, against our flesh... The, uh, the, that the Spirit empowers us with Word of God. It sounds very simple. And in reality, it is to a degree. What's complicated is our execution. And you might say, you know, Pastor Tony, I, I've read the Bible and it's just all confusion and it is, um, it is it's hard to follow. Um, I would say that uh, start by trying maybe a different translation. If you've tried maybe like the King James uh, version, the KJV, um, maybe switch over to a New King James Version. All that is is a version of the same Bible that says the same thing but updates the language to be a little closer to how you and I use our words. I preach from the English Standard Version. Very faithful translation. Again, uses language that is um, very, uh, very much like what we use here today. The New Living Translation is a very good, uh, what we call a thought-for-thought translation uh, where you in the other translations you, they're translating each word and then trying to be as faithful to those words as they can uh, Bible translators for the New Living Translation have taken the thoughts of scriptures uh, of chunks of scripture and given us that same thought um, I like to use those just to enhance uh, the NLT New Living Translation and I like to use that just to enhance uh, my study in case something seems a little wonky or I'm, I'm kind of going the wrong direction, I'll go and say, oh, okay. I use it more like a commentary than I would uh, something to preach from. But it's still a very good, very uh, faithful translation. And I would uh, recommend that to you without hesitation. So do that. Uh, start small. Read with somebody else. There are lots of practical things you can do. The point is to be in the scriptures. Uh, using the YouVersion Bible app. That's a great tool that uh, if you have a smartphone, tablet, or, or what have you, um, you could have study 
materials at your fingertips in your pocket 24 hours a day. Um, uh, the blueletterbible.org, uh, they have an app. Uh, it's an amazing app. It's, it, if you really want to get deep in Bible study, um, it's a great app to use. So all that to say, if you are stuck tonight, if you are trapped in sin and you hear the voice of the Lord, first, just cry out to him. The Bible says that all who call in the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. If you have not given your life to Jesus, then just go and talk to Jesus. Know that he is calling you to repentance. By his mercy and by your by his grace, you can and you will. Um, you will find forgiveness, become a child of God, be born again, brand new creation. And then um, begin to seek his will for your life. Begin to look to him and watch your life unfold before you in a brand new way. I hope this helps. I hope it helps you to understand that sin is not something to toy with. It's not something that uh, that can easily be um, just shook off or set aside. It, it's serious, and the Bible deals with it in a serious manner. But Jesus is more serious and uh, fully capable of handling that for you. So I'm going to pray you out and then uh, do a couple of announcements and we'll go, well, we won't go home. I'm already home, but but you guys can be done. Uh, Lord Jesus, just help us. We, we, need, we call on your name tonight for salvation. We call on you for deliverance, that you would indeed be that author and perfecter of our faith that you have promised to be. And for those that are listening or maybe listening in the future uh, to this podcast or, or Facebook Live, may you uh, give them eyes to see and ears to hear your beauty and your goodness and your salvation. I pray, Lord, that as we look to you, that indeed we would shake off every weight and every sin that clings so closely to us. And may it be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this week we are uh, foregoing our Wednesday night prayer service. Uh, or not foregoing it, we're just pushing it to Friday. Friday we are gathering at the Muir's house. If you guys know the Muir's, um, you can hit me up for their address. I will uh, send that to you. Uh, we're having a back-to-school prayer night. and We're going to be praying the kids back into school. Um, children nowadays, they, they face uh, a reality of having to fight for their faith. Um, it's not that it's... Uh, it's not that it's not allowed, but it's not encouraged. And so in our area, at least, that's kind of the MO. Just, just kind of keep it to yourself type of thing. And we have kids that want to... They want to live their faith out. They want to ask questions. They want to be curious. They want to find out why the Bible says this. And they want to explore and they, and they want to look to adults to, to help them in that. And we just want to be there for them and we want to pray for them and on their behalf. So that'll be 6.30 on Friday night. Send me a message if you want to know the address. If you know Kristen and Justin, you can hit them up too and they'll let you know. Um, and then Sunday, we have our Sunday night service, or excuse me, our Sunday morning service, 10.30 a.m., uh, 8954 Morris Road in Canastota. Everybody is welcome. We are studying the book of First Peter, and uh, we've just been going real slowly through that, just trying to glean and take everything from the scriptures that God has for us. I hope that this has been a good evening for you. I hope that uh, you listen to it again and just learn and, and continue to hear the voice of God. And if you have any questions, please send me a question. I, I love questions. I love trying to help people uh, know Jesus, get past their own preconceived notions and see what the Word of God actually says and uh, help them to find true liberty through that. So I hope you guys have a great night and we'll see you on Friday.